When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowlands and I'm joined for the first time, I think since the back end of last season, by Pat Rowe. Yeah. Pat, you've had about three holidays in the, in the summer, to be fair. How are you, mate? That makes it sound like I haven't been working tirelessly at the same <laughs> time as well. I have been grafting, writing about Villa, but yeah, I've had been on a few holidays. But yeah, I'm good. Mm. I'm excited to get back into this. Been a while, yeah. Strange, really, because obviously we played the first game of the season now, and there's a lot of people still rightly annoyed by that because we've not talked about pre-season or anything so far with your or your kind of expectations and hopes for the season. And um, if we rewind, we rewind back to your mentality on Friday night. Let's say, what are your expectations and hopes for the season? Well, I was in Benidorm then, so I was slightly distracted. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um... I mean, I never was, I was never one of those, I know I'd like to say I've got blind optimism, but I'm not stupid with it. I never thought, well, I'm just going to shut this window because the dog barking. I was never unrealistic with it. I thought, oh yeah, top six, whatever. I've seen a few people say, like, oh, we should push it out with the, the players you've got and whatnot. But I thought if we could just do what we wanted to do last season, but when I feel like it was unrealistic thinking without Grealish, we were going to get like ninth, eighth, seventh. But um, yeah, I feel like ninth would be a good season this season. Just build on, improve on what we did last year because slipping to 14th wasn't acceptable really, was it? We've been over that. We don't need to go back into it. Um, but yeah, I, I, like everyone else, thought we, there was not a chance in hell that we'd be uh, losing to Bournemouth. Scott Parker's comments led me into a bit of a false sense of security saying they're short. They haven't got the players. Their two signings are both injured. I thought, surely... At the very least, we'd just grind out a classic Gerard 1-0, block the opponent out. But yeah, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. But yeah, my, uh, my expectations now, I'm not going to go into disaster mode. Like You can't go from one night thinking we're going to push on, make progress this year, and Gerard's the man to do it. We've made all these signings, being happy with it, to complete disaster. Gerard's not the man for the job, mm-hmm. and we need to spend another £100 million. You just, I'm yeah. not going to go into that. It's one game. It's 37 more. I'm not panicking. Yeah, I agree with the sentiment. Uh, there's a few questions coming through the comments already. The first one is asking whether I've calmed down uh, since Saturday. I was just annoyed on Saturday. I was working on Saturday, which is, is never fun, is it? Working on a Saturday evening. It was also my mum's birthday, so we were having a bit of a, a get-together. So I was kind of dipping away from that, doing work. I was, did all my duties, of course. But Villa losing is the... I was going to say... The cherry on the birthday cake, with the opposite situation of that, the, the the turd in the middle of the birthday cake. <laughs> if we'd have won, if we'd have won on Saturday, I'd have been delighted. It would be a lovely day, and I'm uh, doing the podcast is a pleasure. I have calmed down since then, but it's, I've not accepted what we've seen. Um, I still feel the same way that it, is, it isn't acceptable to lose that first game. It, even if if we if we won the next two or three, you'll still look back at lo- uh, look, look back on losing against a relegation candidate newly promoted side as a bad result. There's no way to dress that up and say it's a good thing. Yeah. 
you'd be like, oh, why didn't why couldn't we do that there? And then we'd be there. You'd be looking exactly. at where the few points would have got you. And it's always the way, isn't it? But you've got to accept it and kind of put it behind you now. It's just there was so much optimism before before Saturday. And not that we're all saying, yes, we're going to get into Europe, but new signings and, you know, pretty decent start to the season. And, let, you know, let's get ready. If you win that first game, that momentum builds into to this week as well. And all of that falls flat, literally 90 seconds, two minutes into the opening weekend, which is so disappointing. And that's what angered a lot of people, I think. Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we've got to accept it, take it on the chin and move on and look forward to Everton. And the title of this podcast is Reasons for Optimism for Everton, because as I said on Saturday, I'm not going to write off a 38-game season after one game because it's silly. Arsenal lost the first three last season and almost got into the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Newcastle didn't win for 14 or 15 games and, and finished yeah. above Villa. So, mm-hmm. you know, we could lose the next two or three and then still go on to have a, a half-decent season. But it's just the feeling and the mood and, you know, the, the perceptions amongst the fan base that feels a little bit disheartened by the whole thing because I'm going to Villa Park on Saturday. If we're 1-0 down after 20 minutes... It's not going to be nice in there, is it? I'm not saying there's going to be booze and Gerard out and stuff like that, but again, just the optimism drains from our from our faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I said I did a tweet yesterday, and it was like I was just, I was just on shift. I just thought I'd look through the stats of Villa's first few games of the seasons of the Premier League. I think we lost two 0 to Wigan one season. I think that Hugo Rodiego. I think I remember him scoring. Mm. Imagine that if that happened now, <laughs> and that was at home. I'm pretty sure two 0 to Wigan on the first day of the season at home. But yeah, the first game of the season doesn't define your entire campaign. So I wouldn't say there's pressure on Saturday, but if we lose, then you could probably, <laughs> the pre- the angst and the anxiety probably does rise mm. out the fan base. But yeah, I'm hoping hoping we just replicate the same. They've got a good some part last time we met them, like grinded out 1 0, weren't it? Mm. It's the same things we were saying exactly this time last year when we lost the first game to Watford and then had Newcastle as our first home game. And I was saying that it, it was a must win. And people are going, oh, it's a must win the second game. I don't mean it from a points perspective. It's just from an atmosphere point of view. If you lose two games and Everton and Bournemouth are two sides that might get relegated and Villa were losing the first two games. Like that, from a, from a, just a mentality point of view and everyone kind of keeping their heads, losing the next game is you know not possible. It's not acceptable. Um, so in that perspective it's a must win at Villa or must not lose at least get a decent result on Saturday I think we will I think we will bounce back there's got to be some kind of reaction yeah. um, we'll get on to team news and stuff in a bit obviously it's a few a few days out we've got to have injury news and the presser and stuff but we'll go through a bit of a predicted 11 as well but I think we will bounce back I, I, I'm expecting a, a reaction would you agree with that? I think when you when you when we were talking about the pod before I came on, you were saying, "Oh, what are the reasons for us to be positive?" And I think the only one I can really think about is that we have players on the bench that should be starting. They can come on, and mm. after a performance like that against a team like Bournemouth, not to like undermine their quality and whatnot, you you expect to see maybe two or three changes to the starting lineup. I'm not gonna lie, a few of the choices, well, actually, just one to be fair for the Bournemouth game surprised me. So I felt throughout the whole preseason it was it was Watkins. It was Watkins every week. Like he was going for Watkins. If Ings came on, it was it was as a substitute mm. or in a diamond playing with Watkins. And then the first game of the season he goes Ings up top on his own. It just confused me a bit. I was talking to my friends about it. Ings isn't a striker that can play up top on his own. Like I don't I, it's just one of those things I think at Southampton about ninety two percent of the time he was playing with another striker. I just don't think you can go Ings at top and then play the way we did with all those crosses and whatnot. That's yeah, it makes no sense. Work. It just doesn't make sense. Ings plays off people. He doesn't. He isn't the target man. He isn't. He isn't going to stretch the defence with, with his pace. He plays off players like Wendy, etc., like that. He'll get in behind the line, but he won't. 
he doesn't have that pace to cause problems in behind mm. um, off long balls and whatnot. Yeah, that one, that's the only thing that could infuse me. I'm looking forward. I think he's got to make at least two, maybe three changes for this this game on the weekend. And I'm hoping one of them is Buendia. Mm. Well, he's not a, he's not a lone forward, is he? When he's always played in amongst the two, but if he was playing in the, in the system where you have got the two narrow number tens, mm. there's at least bodies around him to work with. But having Bailey and Coutinho just uh, flipping cross, crosses in, yeah, yeah, didn't didn't work. I mean, I'm not saying that Watkins would have been the answer and we'd have won the game if he'd have started. But you know, you said it was a, a takeaway from preseason that we hadn't played Ings up front on his own for the, yeah. the whole five games, as far as I'm aware. So yeah. in the opener is away from home is, is strange but obviously Joel's got his reasons and hopefully we'll have realised it didn't work and changes will be forthcoming for, for the weekend then again um, I, feel, I feel bad saying that because like I've thought throughout the whole summer I've never thought Villa's problems were lying with the striker yeah like, I thought it was it was always like you said if you put Watkins there we probably would have had the same outcome but the problems for me lie within our creation like we just we don't create enough for them like hmm. was it enough quality yeah. 15 shots, two on target, 11 of them were outside the box and we got 0.6 XG. So there's just basically no clear-cut chances whatsoever. And I felt it throughout pre-season, the game was ticking over and the game's kind of just like rolling on behind before you and Villa weren't really doing anything. I know we won like, against Stadrone and whatnot and we beat Leeds. There was a penalty. These aren't chances we're creating. So I don't know if he's leaning on players like Coutinho and Ings just to give them that moment of magic to get a win out of nothing or whatever. But the main issue for me is our creation throughout the game. Mm. Yeah. Um, just on Bournemouth, that's probably the last talking point on them. Because obviously, we've done a 25-minute podcast on Saturday night. It's more for your opinion more so than anything. So obviously, you've not spoken about it. Um, Kamara? Probably the one minor positive, one minor standout. I think Ash gave him a 6 out of 10, which is hardly a, a glowing performance, but uh, best of a bad bunch at least. And some of his stats were okay, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't want to dress this too, up too much. It's like Kamara's like the best thing ever in a 2 0 loss because ultimately we lost the game. But, you know, yeah. again, reasons for optimism, Pat. Give me something. I feel like that was a bottom of the barrel, like bare minimum performance from him. And it's impressive. Mm. Like, he wasn't like he probably was one of the only positives to take from it, but that wasn't him at his best. Like, I was looking at the stats, I didn't see the full game, I've only had to watch extended highlights because obviously I was away. But he was just doing everything you'd expect to him, breaking play up a bit, his long passing, whatnot, just to help it slotting in between the defenders, helping defensively. I mean, Bournemouth had two goals, uh, scored two goals from 0.5 XG, which was less than we created. It's just two very avoidable set piece goals. So there's obviously issues, but I'm hoping moving forward when other things start to click that Kamara, you see the best of Kamara because that wasn't the best of Kamara, but he was still very, very good. So mm. yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah, Villa's best performer, but I'm not saying this is a good performance and I'm excited mm. by it, but like I said, I've got to cling on to some kind of positive just for my, yeah. own, <laughs> my own brain at this point, otherwise I'm going to lose it. Um, let's forget about Bournemouth. It's done now. We're, we're midway through the, the week. Yeah, forget it ever happened until we play them again and they get six points off us like the top of Watford. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tell, you got to laugh, haven't you? Let's turn our attention to Everton a little bit then. Um, talked about a predicted 11 and stuff, but we'll, we'll get onto that in a sec. There's a lot of talk, you know, when we're saying, got a caveat, it's only one game and that's got no great not get too carried away. There's still 37 to go. A lot of people counter that with saying, well, it's not just one game, it's 
20 points in 2022 or, or whatever the figure is it's two wins in 12 that, that's what the that's what the worry is and, and people were saying the same thing about Dean Smith last season it's not just the, the first seven games of the season it's the whole of 2021's been poor or whatever mm-hmm. um, I said I said on Saturday that you know you've still give him give Gerard that, that time this season to to put things right from last my perspective on that that two wins in 12 thing is that again this is just me as a fan my own kind of peace peace of mind just forget about last season that's yeah. the only way I can deal with it you've just got to kind of compartmentalise it and go that was a different season against a few different teams we've got new players since then we've had a pre-season to work on new things and hopefully fix the errors of last season I kind of write off the poor form of last season to a certain extent I get that it's still a worry but just for my own sanity I've got to kind of forget the two wins and 12 thing and go it's one loss from one that's all I'm focused on, just Bournemouth. And if if on Saturday it's two losses from two, or one win, one loss, I'm just focused on this season. It's the only way I can I can get through my day, to be honest. Yeah, I've thought about this quite a lot. I was speaking to my friends and my dad about it. Actually, I like when your job is to write between eight and ten reports on Villa a day, and you look <laughs> at things like that, I just feel like your quality of life and yeah. is going to depreciate rapidly. So, yeah, I feel like back end of last season, it's like the season before. Uh, do you remember we went on that run? We were just beating like, we didn't have Grealish and we were beating like Everton and whatnot. Mm. Just like those. It's the end of the season results that just weird things happen. Teams have nothing to play for. So I'm trying, uh, you can't just write off completely, but when you dive deeper in it, you probably can just be like, ah, there's no need to look at it really. I, I get it. I get the frustration. I, I get what I'm making, yeah. Like it's, you, sometimes you do have to look at it. For my own mental sanity, I'm not going to look at it. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, yeah that's it. I, I'm literally just going to. I'm going to blind myself by. Uh, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. It exists. There's a comment here saying, "Did we see any evidence of new things on Saturday, though?" No, we didn't. I get that. It wasn't any better on on Saturday than it was on the back end of last season. I, I agree with that. But I've got to just. Put, I've got to put that down to one game, and I'll judge it against. Yeah. I'll judge Bournemouth against Everton. Basically, yeah. if Everton yeah. is vastly improved, as much as that might not be consistent, and we can keep that up, I'll judge the Everton game against Bournemouth. I can't just look back at the last yeah. ten, fifteen, or whatever, because I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, I'll just lose the plot and lose all motivation to get up for work. I can't. Yeah, it's it. just yeah. not worth it. Like, if it can't continues past Everton, then you can start looking into the overall job he's done. Because if mm. there's no improvements at all after the pre-season he was asking for and the signings he was asking for, then obviously there's an issue that needs addressing. But until then, I feel like I'll just back it to change, hedge my bets and just stay as positive as possible. <laughs> so I said about this this podcast is called Reasons for Optimism, so we're trying we to keep go. with it. Trying to keep with it. Um, do you want to do predicted 11 and stuff for Everton first or do you want to talk about mm-hmm. Tara Mings? Oh... Maybe we go Mings. <laughs> okay, should we get Tara Mings out of the way? Um, I've spoken about this a little bit on Saturday. Like I said, I've had a few days to to think about it further. Let's start with you, though. Tell me your opinions on what unfolded on, on Saturday afternoon in terms of, again, we've not spoken to you since last season, captaincy change, not playing the first game, comments afterwards, and then revealing that he's uh, he's got a, a growing problem, I think it was. So your kind of take on Tara Mings for us. First, the captaincy change. I always thought Gerard was going to change it just for the for the sake of sake of uh, changing it for it's his captain kind of thing. He's not carrying on from the last regime and whatnot. Not sure I agreed with it. I didn't. I wasn't too sure about. It. I do think Minks is one of the best leaders in the squad, if not the only leader. 
but I was open to the idea of McGinn having a crack at it. McGinn, you know, he's captain Scotland for four, I'm pretty sure, and that's got the, like, the likes of Andy Robertson in the squad. Like, they're good players in the Scotland squad. And he's an international player. Like, he's obviously a senior member within the squad and people respect him, so I was all for it. I'm still all for it. I'll, I'll see how it unfolds. Um, I thought Mings handled it well. Gerard's comments weren't mm. too like, abrupt following that. I was like, agreed with it all. And then I was obviously I was away, and you see snippets of the quotes, don't you? When you like, just people take what they want from it. And it was the looking in the eye comment. And I, initially, my first reaction was, okay, maybe he's okay. He, t- he tends to be just like abrupt and upfront after the games, doesn't he? So I just thought it was one of those comments after, and it's taken out of context. But it, it did seem a bit, I don't know, unnecessary. But um, yeah, then I read the full quotes, and I didn't see any problems with it. It goes on to state that. You know, Mingus has got an injury. Um, I think someone's just snip snippet like half of the quotes. It's been taken out of context. It's, and people have it's just raveled, like Chinese whispers have gone on. And it's just been made to into a bigger issue than it needs to be. I think you were saying like it, it's in the problem that Villa probably don't need right now. Like with everything that's going on in the pit, you don't need off the field issues. And I think the fan base, all of us are probably guilty of emphasizing those issues. I'm pretty sure there's not a problem between Gerard and Mings. Mings probably knows when he comes back from injury, he's going to have to fight for his place. And that was always going to be the uh, the motive for the season. I don't think there's anything in it. I think when Villa lose and it's bad on the pitch, people hang on to things off the pitch and need to find a reason for why things happened. And a bit of negativity, because we all have a bit of negativity <laughs> in the Villa fan base. But yeah, I'm not reading too much into it. I'm 90% sure there's not a problem between the two. Both consummate professionals and I'm fine with it. Yeah, that's fair. I'm probably going to do a lot of talking for the next couple of minutes or so because I've got a big, oh, a, lo- a, lo- a load of quotes from John Townley as well. His opinion on it, he's wrote a, a nice opinion piece about it, which is kind of your side of the argument as well. So I want to have balance here. I want to look at both sides of the coin. We talked about it on Saturday night, only seeing the look in the eyes comments. I think it was in WM. They tweeted it, I think, saying, yeah. once Tyrone tells me he's you know ready to go and looks me in the eye and says, I'm ready to play, he's you know he's got a chance of getting back in the squad or whatever. <clears throat> I still don't like that comment, even even with the injury stuff. I still yeah. don't like that. I don't, I don't know what the need is to kind of out Mings, who didn't even play, didn't even come off the bench. Yeah. The injury stuff that came out afterwards, and having a scan on Monday, re- revealing a, a little growing niggle or whatever that he's been he's been managing. Yeah, fair enough. If, he, if he's injured, he's injured. He sat on the bench though against Bournemouth, so is yeah. he injured? Is he is he that injured? Uh, is he ready to go? Would he be ready for for fifteen minutes, twenty minutes? Um, is he not ready to start games? It's one of those things that, again, like I said to you before, it's a problem that Villa don't need to create for themselves, this Tyro Mings issue, because this is all anyone is talking about on social media since Saturday, which, to be, mm-hmm. to be honest, is a bit of a distraction from the way that we played, which maybe that maybe yeah, that's the thinking. Maybe, maybe it's a bit Mourinho-esque. Let's just talk about Tyro Mings and the captaincy and away from performance. Still leaving off the pitch, Tyro. <laughs> yeah, so this, is, this is all people are talking about now. So this is a problem that Villa didn't need. It's this negative atmosphere now of of the fan base talking about it and it, it's strange to me because I mean, this is on two fronts really last season everyone's talking about Gerard Gerard out whatever he's not good enough you're not ready uh, no sorry Dean Smith <laughs> slip of the tongue there Dean <laughs> Smith get rid of him not good enough blah 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 and there's now people going you know maybe maybe Dean Smith wasn't that bad maybe Dean Smith could come back yeah, it's like oh my god we all, everyone was going crazy for getting rid of him to begin with and the flips are that Tara Mings Everyone wanted him out the side. Yeah. Everyone wanted him sold, replaced, get rid of him, make too many mistakes. And then he doesn't play one game of the new season. Everyone's going, get Tyra Mings back in there. 
he's the best centre back. Short memories, isn't it's it? Hard. So the fan base can't win. However, we, however, we, which way we go. But I don't feel like we needed this problem. It's almost like there was no need to even. I know he was asked about Mings, but you know, almost why, why mention it, so to speak? Why mention the look me in the eye thing and tell me he's ready? Just say he didn't play because he's injured, mm-hmm. and and no one really even talks about it then. So this is a problem I don't think Villa needed and have created for themselves. And we'll see what happens on Saturday if he's fit and ready and starts and plays well. Then Mings and Carlos, I think, is a good centre half partnership. Yeah, I said um, that. Oh, I think that I think that's good. So I don't think Gerald's come out of it great, but I think there has been a, an overreaction as well to the comments mm-hmm. weren't as bad as people were expecting. Um, yeah, things do get taken out of context. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit from John that I want to read. It's a couple of paragraphs long, so do bear with me. Uh, he says, despite a strong backlash, the basis of Gerald's comments were not out of order. Perhaps he could have delivered his words more effectively, but given the direct line of questioning about a single player who hadn't featured in the match, which Villa lost in terrible fashion, it's understandable that his tempers might flare. Gerald can get emotional and passionate in certain environments, especially minutes after the full-time whistle, but he is paid to make the big decisions and he'll stand by them, despite being bombarded with opinions that Mings should not have been replaced as captain. And just caveat, I don't care about the captaincy thing. Mm, yeah. Whatever. He, he's picked a new man. I, I don't mind that. I don't. The way Mings reacted to that, it's, it is what it is. Um, from the day he walked through the door Gerald made it very clear that he would appoint his own captain and given every member of squad the opportunity to step up and win the armband so going back to Gerald's comments post Bournemouth specifically the challenge that he has set means of getting back into the squad what was he supposed to say after being directly asked why he, why he elected not to start him mm-hmm. being an elite professional and international footballer Mings will respect Gerald's honesty and reasoning behind replacing him as captain after being promised to play his back into the team if his performances are at a consistent level in Gerard's view, removing the armband would help him achieve that, which again, I think is fair. Perhaps the inclusion of Mings would have prevented Bournemouth from scoring two goals. Perhaps it wouldn't. There was no uproar when the team sheet was released at 2pm. In fact, he was carrying an injury and a scan on Monday revealed bruising in his groin. So what happens from here? For Mings, it's time to knuckle down and win his place back in the team. He was missed at the Vitality Stadium and he knows a strong few weeks at Bodymore Heath without any external distractions will put him firmly back in Gerard's plans. Which is now, three or four days after the event, is how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it on Saturday night when things were taken out of context. I thought, again, it's a problem that I don't need to create. I think now, concert didn't do a fat lot. We lost 2-0. Carlos is always going to start with expect. Marking the two players from the set. Yeah, I, honestly, I thought I thought it'd be Chambers that would have started the season anyway over Concer. As much as Concer's made this miraculous recovery, he's played like two games in pre-season. Two or three games. Like uh, Chambers have done nothing wrong to, to not start, I don't think. So if it was Chambers and Carlos, maybe it would be totally different. If Mings is fit and available, I do think Mings and, and Carlos is probably our best uh, centre-half partnership at the moment. Yeah. And it's up to um, Mings now to overcome an injury, impress Gerard in on the training pitch and get back in. That that is yeah. all, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just again, well, it feels like we're talking about this thing that isn't yeah. probably isn't really a problem. And if uh, this wouldn't have, if we'd have won against Bournemouth, this yeah, would not have been a problem. Yeah, I just don't see how Gerard after the the whole. Obviously, Mings isn't just a isn't just a Villa fan base talking about it either, is it? Mings, yeah. when Mings says something, the whole kind of like country listens. is quite a well-known figure in the in the Premier League, isn't he? People hang on to things, fans abuse him from rival teams, they love to do that. So the whole nation's kind of hung on to these quotes now, so it's got, it's got a bit inflated, but I can't see how you could just bring him back into the lineup if he's. And now you're saying he's got an injury this week, well, he's, he shouldn't, maybe he won't train for the rest of the week, so if he comes back in, I don't know, I just can't see him coming in for 
Saturday's game. So I'd probably like to see Chambers. But then again, you've probably got the same issues defending set pieces then, haven't you? <laughs> and Villa were bad at defending set pieces with Mings yeah. on the pitch last season anyway. Do you remember the start exactly. last season, man? I, I think we were top for most goals conceded from a set piece. And then it was the Arsenal game. Party scored a header from a corner. I think it's just an underlying issue with our team, to be honest, which doesn't bode well mm-hmm. for Everton either because... They, they, I think they were second for uh, XG created from set pieces, and they've got the most dominant player in the air that in the league last season in Tarkowski. I think he won 171 aerial duels, which is about 20 more than anyone else in the league. So, uh, yeah, I think they they predicted 11 as well with three centre halves, and one of them's kind of Cody as well. So, there's going to be aerial threats there. I don't know how we're going to deal with them. <laughs> um... Just talk about Luca Dean very quickly. There's a lot of talk about him being off the pitch when Bournemouth scored for taking off some jewellery. Which was it real? I, I got two opinions from it. My uh, friend said it was real, and then someone said he was on the pitch when they when they scored. Well, when they for the corner when they scored, he is on the pitch. You can see the yeah. number twenty seven shirt in the box. Neil from the Full of of Paul McGuire podcast has done like a tactical analysis and he's gone through it. The screenshots from the live feed show Dean is on the pitch, number twenty seven. So always talk about him being off the pitch when they scored isn't correct. Now he did have to go off the pitch before the corner. The corner was conceded while he was off the pitch. Now I didn't watch. I actually missed the first couple of minutes of the game on Saturday, so I've not seen it live myself. Talk about bloody nose, so potentially going off flat. So I don't know whether he's taken a whack and it's got to go off to to get you know blood cleaned up, which is a common thing. You would assume that referees and officials and the, the amount of staff that work at Villa would check for jewellery before a game, and Dean wouldn't be wearing any, but you know, things yeah. do slip through there. So there's a bit of conjecture as to why he was off the pitch, but for when the, the goal physically went into the back of the net, Dean was defending that corner. So. This is what happens when we concede set pieces, though. People don't look at they. Sometimes they don't focus on actually what happened at the set piece. They also like to look at how we conceded the set piece. Mm. Remember the Wolves three two loss. It was yeah. like Matt Target turned around in the wall. He shouldn't have turned yeah. around. And then we got a cut. They got a corner. It's just yeah, those are little things. But yeah, he should. That, that's inexcusable. Obviously, you shouldn't be forced off the pitch due to um, jewelry. Yeah, it's one of them. We've lost the game, so there's there's rumours, there's, there's a speculation, there's conjecture about how, of how things have gone wrong. Yeah, it's especially being away, not being on TV. There's not enough people to confirm or deny what happened. So there's not many people at the ground. So like a ten thousand yeah. attendants with a thousand Villa fans. So it's all it all feels a bit like a weird preseason friendly we're talking about that not really anyone's properly seen what's happened. Yeah. Um, I said about fifteen minutes ago. Let's move on from Bournemouth. Yet here we are still talking about it. When I asked you if you wanted to do Everton or Mings, you should have said Everton, so we could have just moved on. Um, we've made changes we've made changes to the preview format the ones that we do with Ash on a Friday there's times where we were talking about the, getting an opposition reporter on doing 10 minutes on the Everton lineup and who their best performer is and all that kind of stuff and I just realised mm-hmm. that I won don't care a lot of the audience didn't really seem to care because the views weren't great and I was kind of saying stick to Villa so we are going to stick to Villa. So as much as we're going to be talking about the Everton game, it's how Villa approached the Everton mm-hmm. game. Not, I don't, I don't care what Everton star man is or whatever. They played one game as well. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, exactly. They've lost Richarlison. Richarlison, they're a favourite to go down. Yeah, we're at home. I expect us to win. Even I striker, and it's Solomon Rondon. If we do not yeah. win, <laughs> if if we don't win, we're in big trouble. Um, so changes for Everton now. I know you've done a predicted eleven. Um, do you want me to flash it up first and talk through yeah, it? Yeah, it up. Okay, so this is your 11 for Saturday. 
Martinez in goal, Dean, Cash, Carlos and Chambers as the back four. Kamara sitting with McGinn and Louise. And Bailey, Buendia on the left and Watkins up front. Talk to me about that. Is that three changes? Uh, Louise, Buendia and Chambers. Yeah, three. Actually, no, four. Watkins as well, isn't it? One, two, oh, yeah. three, four. Um, first of all, let's just compliment the graphic. How good is that graphic? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, basically my thoughts with, obviously, Watkins, if we're playing one up front, unless he goes back to the diamond, I'd rather have Watkins up there, so it's a no-brainer. I don't think Bailey should be dropped. I hope he doesn't scapegoat him and just drop him. I wouldn't. I'd, everyone yeah, wants but, to say Bailey. He's, he's but, a star. Bailey wasn't great. He wasn't great on Saturday, but he's had a good pre-season, so benefit, yeah. benefit the doubt if it's the same yeah. system. He Bailey game. players, yeah. Buendia, before Coutinho came, I was looking at the games I could remember him playing in. And do you remember the 2-1 against Leicester, the Brentford game at away where we lost, but Buendia set up Danny Ings and slotted him in. Mm. And the FA Cup game against Manchester United. There's a few others as well, but those ones that stuck in my mind. I remember thinking in the United game when I was there, because I went to that with my friend, that Buendia was just one of the best players on the pitch. We just looked really bright with him on the left, linking up with Watkins. I don't know how we lost that game because we had so many chances. But um, I feel like Buendia got into form and was playing his best football on the left. And obviously Coutinho came in and obviously there's this argument of Gerrard's preference for Coutinho to be out there. But I'd like to see Buendia start on the left, to be honest. Gerrard talks about earning the shirt to Mings, like you said earlier, but then you can't have one rule for one player and another rule for another. Mm. So if Coutinho needs to, wants to keep the shirt, he needs to step up and Buendia probably deserves to be given a chance. I'd like to see him on the left. Um, Louise for Ramsey, just to add to that bit of control. It doesn't sound like Ramsey had too good of a game. I didn't think he was that good in pre-season either. I was unsure whether or not Louise was going to get a start because I'm pretty sure he went for Louise, McGinn, Kamara in the Stade Rene game, didn't he? And I thought mm-hmm. this is the best indication of what he's going to go for when we get to the actual game. Um, Chambers, I just think he has to make a, a change in defence and Conza losing his man on both occasions for those set pieces. If it's not Mings, obviously it has to be Chambers. Chambers never really put a foot wrong in a Villa shirt. Everyone loves him yeah. when he plays. He offers a bit of control from the back. He's not the tallest, but he defends well. He's physical. So yeah, he'd be my change there. Um, other than that, no. That's it. There's uh, a lot of suggestions that Everton will play a three at the back. Obviously, Connor Cody's drawing there, who's a three at the back merchant. I think Cody's a decent signing, to be fair. I actually think that's quite strange from Wolves. I don't know whether there's more to it, but mm. Loney now at your captain of four or five years for the season, yeah. I think he'll leave permanently. But so just, I don't know, it just feels a bit weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, you expect them to play three at the back. Is there any, any chance you or Stephen Joe would be tempted by the 4 3 1 2 or 4 3 2? One formation to have two strikers against the oh, three centre halves. I know the only one can play together. So I, I, as much as I want Brendan to play, I think it'll be Coutinho still, and I yeah. think it might be two up front, Ings and Watkins with Coutinho behind. The only thing putting me off, uh, if he does go for a four-three-one-two, the narrow diamond, it probably would stress me out a bit because we've seen before, like again in the pre-season friendly against United, when you play that narrow formation, you have people that stay wide. It just like stretches your limb from limb, doesn't it? And they've got so much space mm. to operate in. I think Sancho and Rashford just had an absolute joy down there, didn't they? It's so all the same Sheff- thing against Bournemouth as well. Dean and Cash yeah. going forward is all well and good, but if McGinn and Ramsey are playing fake fullbacks to, to yeah. cover for them, well, it doesn't make any sense. It was a, it was um, a new issue against Bournemouth. I'm pretty sure. I think I think Talking Tactics looked at it. it was the the gaps in midfield. Like before, it was the gaps between the centre halves and the fullbacks. Mm. 
now it's the gaps in midfield. Like one person, everyone wants to get forward. Kamara slots in into the back line, and there's just gaps everywhere. There's just no midfield pretty much at times. So mm. it's just not ideal. So the only other one I'd be tempted for is a four-two-four-two-three-one, kind of like a Dean Smith era formation. But then again. If McGinn's the captain, I don't see how he fits into it because whenever McGinn's played in that double pivot, I just haven't liked it. I think that was the first game of the season against Watford last year. The Southampton game that eventually got Smith the sack. I wouldn't like to see that. I don't think if he did it, I'd like to see Kamara and Louise. But is he going to drop the captain second games of the season? This is the whole issue about it, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you could have Kamara and Louise as a two. McGinn is the furthest forward central midfielder, not quite a number 10, and then have Coutinho and and Bailey wide. Um, You could have Bailey left, Buendia off the right, cutting in. McGinn isn't kind of a number 10. But then if you're playing number 10, it's got to be Coutinho or Buendia, isn't it? Why is it just Coutinho, because in that diamond, that is when Coutinho looks the best, and I think that's why Gerard's tempted to play it all the time. Because mm. when Coutinho's got three midfielders behind him and people ahead of him, he's got that space in between. That's when he's at his best. All those games, Leeds, Brighton, well, Southampton, all of those games. Mm. Um, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. Besides a, a score prediction from the game, um, I am tracking score predictions this season between me and Ash specifically, because obviously we'll do a podcast every single week, guaranteed. Mm. I can't, I can't kind of guess whether you or John or, or Matt or whoever will be on each week. Yeah. Um, but I'll write it down anyway on my little spreadsheet. So, score prediction for Saturday. Do you want to... Um, I can't believe I'm saying stop for? the rot in the second game of the season, but I'm going to say stop the rot. <laughs> one nil. Stop the rot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. This, this is, is what it's coming it? to. Um, to May already, please. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I said at the, at the top of the show, like if we look at Arsenal and Newcastle, there's just two two options from last year. Um you can have a poor start and still have a good season. Likewise, the reverse. You can have a good start. Do you remember the, the year before when I was at Everton? were up in the top four, I think, yeah. for the first couple of oh, weeks yeah. of the season. Zoo, you know. race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because who taught race? I see it now. A couple of years on, Everton are favourites to, or one of the favourites to go down. Um, you've got to beat Everton. Like I said, you've got to not have that horrible home atmosphere. And then you take that kind of momentum into Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. Um I wrote a quick newsletter on Monday to, to kind of promote the, the Saturday's podcast and I finished it by saying, I'm not sure what else I can say. I won't write off a 38-game season after the first game. In brackets, mm-hmm. Liverpool also drew to Fulham. Like they're not going to write off their title charge. Um, but they were worrying signs in the season opener. But, and a big but, I will inevitably change my tune if we beat Everton at home and follow it up with a result against Crystal Palace. So that's up to you, Stevie G. Prove me wrong. Show us that Bournemouth... Oh my God, I've gone off the page. Where is it? Uh... Prove me wrong. Show us that Bournemouth was the anomaly, the blip and the banana skin. Beat Everton and my mood swings back in your favour. So, I'll put us down to win. Like I said, the atmosphere will change if we win. We've got to start winning home games, as Gaz says in the comments there. Uh, Me and Ashley spoke about trying to win double figures of home games at least to to kind of give yourselves a good foundation. So, win, win on Saturday get something decent against Crystal Palace and we'll probably all look back at Bournemouth with a tinge of regret of what might have been but not the yeah. disaster that we've all felt it has been since Saturday so for me 2-0 Villa get as, a side as, well. note, as a side note if anyone has a spare ticket I'm willing to send my girlfriend there as just on her own 
Because oh, she's a good luck charm, isn't she? The first game she watched Liverpool 7-2. First game she went to Everton 3-0 at home. And then the last game I took her to, mm. the only other game she's been to, was the 4-0 against Southampton. So if anyone wants wow. to, I'll just send her in like a good luck grenade and just leave her in there. <laughs> I mean, it's not great to sit on a podcast and offer you offer out your girlfriend for services to go to football, <laughs> but uh, less said about that, the better. Um, that's enough for the football chat for now. We're going to have a quick shout out as well to our half marathon attempt. Oh, yeah. This is the first time we've spoken about this on a specifically football related podcast. Um, I did one with Danny from the Bedford Lions uh, on the weekend where we talked about Villa Women and Villa Bellas and all the different things she's up to. And we spoke about the marathon in that. Obviously, this is the first kind of dedicated football show we've had since then. So we are running the half marathon in Birmingham in 2023 in May. There's a donation link in the bottom of this podcast if you want to go and send us the, the cost of a half-time bovril or pretty much pie or whatever. And that would be greatly appreciated. Pat, have you ever done a marathon before? It's half marathon, by the way. Funnily enough, no. <laughs> <laughs> have I ever run a 10K before? No. <laughs> it's going to be hell on earth. Yes. <laughs> what did you, um, when I sent that message around the group chat, what did you think when I first said, do you want to do it? I thought, I just thought I'd do it. I've got nine months to get in some reasonable running shape. I'm good when I set my mind to something. So as long as there's an end goal, I'll just. Uh, the, the stress of not being able to do it and knowing that people know I'm doing it is making mm. me do it. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like if one of you, like I said, let's run a marathon, I'd have gone, you're joking, aren't you? I don't know why I'm going to do that, but because it's my idea, I'm all on board for it. Um, mm. As people will know, Ash does a lot of running. He's out at 5am doing 5Ks in Birmingham, which is which is obviously great for him. Um, I think John has done a few 10Ks in his time, but he says he hasn't run for a while. You've not run much at all. Put my glasses on Alex Dickon and let him run it. <laughs> yeah. Alex Dickon, who works with us, is a is a runner. He's got a great five k record. It's some sixteen minutes that. or something. Yeah. It's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Um, I used to do some running in lockdown, but I've definitely got out of shape. And that, we keep saying on these podcasts, me and Matt, especially when we do these ones in person, like the preseason reviews and stuff. We always look at ourselves back on camera and go, "Oh, we need to lose some weight." Like I've got to, I've got to do. Well, the next time we do one of these, I need to lose some weight. So, um, by the end of next season, when we're coming to our end of season review, I want to have lost some weight. How can I do that? Oh, let's run a half marathon because that's the only thing that that's the only thing that will kind of keep me uh, like on track. Um, so I said, if we do it publicly and say let's raise some money for for Acorns and the AVC Foundation as well, it kind of gives us uh, motivation to do it people know about it now so we can't back out so i've now physically got to go out there in 30 degree heat at some point in the next few weeks and start some training because i'm i'm miles off it at the moment um so as i said there is a donation link to that if you want to help us out um that'd be great i'll put it in the facebook comments as well that link will be on every podcast that we do now for the next nine months so if you've missed it you can find it there um there's been a lot of messages of support in the comments of this and on social media as well so thank you i think we're going to need it yeah. and pat we'll, we'll meet up for a run at some point in person and we'll do some training cool. too, like Rocky Balboa. yeah um pat thanks for your time as ever and thanks for coming back to the thanks podcast after a, a long it. absence uh, me and ash will do one on friday afternoon after the press conference or friday morning um and we'll talk about a kind of updated predicted 11 i guess and, and what ash thinks will happen what Gerard said in his presser and then I think it'll be me and Matt Kendrick on Saturday lunchtime or Saturday afternoon it's obviously the 12.30 kickoff. so me and Matt Kendrick will be back for our usual post-match reactions thanks to the 300 people that are watching this live on Wednesday morning we salute you for joining us um, yeah we'll see you again on Friday thank you very much 
Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. Up the villa.